With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 157. The El Salvador Surf City Pro Stop number 7 on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour has finished with Caroline Marks and Felipe Toledo taking home the wins and Matt Violas and Mayhem Surfboards further cementing their number one spot on the current Visla CT Shaper rankings. The world's best surfers are now in Brazil for the Vivo Rio Pro at Sacarema, and we have an awesome battle going on for the top five positions on the men's and women's rankings, with surfers looking to earn their spot into September's world title deciding Rip Curl WSL Finals. The Vivo Rio Pro will stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 157. We're back with my part-time co-host for this season, where we run through winners and losers from El Salvador. We dive deep into the update on the Visla CT Shaper rankings. We answer listener questions and much more. We had a lot of fun on this podcast. We hope you do too. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And now I just say, put them up once. It's got. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. your <laughs> box. All right, we are back with the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan, here with my part-time co-host for the season, Mitch Salazar, and we are covering the recently completed El Salvador Surf City Pro, won by Caroline Marks and Felipe Toledo. Congratulations to both of them. And we're recording just ahead of the eighth of 10 stops on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Vivo Rio Pro, which starts in just a few days. Mitch, you were on the ground in El Salvador. You are now on the ground in Sacarema. How the hell are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm a little tired, Dave. I'm not going to lie, a little <laughs> exhausted, but it's been a great trip so far. You know, I've, I was able to spend quite a few times, uh, quite a few, quite a bit of time, excuse me, in El Salvador. And, um, you know, that place is amazing. The waves are great. Uh, really love it there. I think um, the quality waves definitely showed up for this year's CT event. And I was really impressed by the surfing we saw on both the men's and women's side. Some surprises there, no doubt, but um, great to see the dominance of certain surfers like Stephanie Gilmore. And I mean, obviously, both men making the final yet again and having a rematch for the ages. I thought it was a great event overall, Dave. I don't know how you enjoyed it at home, but, um, you know, finals day was a bit tricky with the waves. And we did have to, you know, nitpick those late days out of, you know, some difficult days to really choose from. But uh, I think all in all, the event went um, as well as we could have hoped for and, I think in terms of the quality of the waves, Punta Roca showed up way more than it did last year. I think just conditions were so much cleaner. And um, overall, it was a fun event. I would say 8 out of 10. It was awesome. It was awesome to watch here. You know, it's, it's like coming up in one of my winners and losers segments, but it, it's a little hard, hard hang to watch uh, sunny, clean waves, both on the run days and the late days. We're here in Southern California after a rough winter and an abysmal spring and a, a June gloom. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to look up flights to El Salvador right now. No, they did. It looked awesome. The surfing was great. And, and I agree with you. We had kind of that window in the afternoon last year. I think it was for the quarterfinal where yeah. Punta Roca really kind of switched on for us, but it looked like it was a lot more uh, quality-based, consistent this year, and the surfing was was awesome. And uh, yeah, man, I'm excited to get into it. We always start off with uh, the segment that is the talk of the town, winners and losers from El Salvador. And um, Mitch, why don't you, you kick us off on this one? Well, my first loser is pretty easy, Dave. It's regular foot dominance, and uh, really, really mm. pleased to see a goofy voter win for the first time I've <laughs> ever been there in, in my whole life but seeing caroline marks take a win out for the goofy voters especially on the women's side i did see Alyssa um Alyssa quizon excuse me make a final out there once in 2016 she lost to keely andrew that was a women's mm. six-star qs the waves are pumping but this year 
you know, first time, first of all, Carolina's won a CT event at a point break, let alone mm. at a right-hand point break. So she finally showcased, you know, that excellent backhand that she has. And I think overall, just being able to beat Tyler Red in the final, who's on a roll, who's coming off of a great string of events. For her, getting her first one of the season and a pivotal point, that's my first loser. Regular footers, maybe, you know, they, they might be turning a cold shoulder right now. But I think overall, goofy footers have definitely been rising to the plate when it comes to these right-hand point breaks because there's not money left on tour, Dave. they got to make do with what they have. That's a great point. And I think a um, you know, long-time CT uh, heavy hitter, Luke Egan, being in Caroline's corner, um, probably had a, a massive effect, you know, my, uh, my first loser, I, you know, I'm going to be a little bit long winded here. So I appreciate everyone uh, humoring me on this, but, <laughs> but my first loser from El Salvador are any believers of which admittedly I can be from time to time in the potential for a Kelly Slater performance Renaissance on tour <laughs> at venues other than pipeline or Chopu. Now, look, much has been written and said about the 51-year-old's form on tour, especially this season, especially following his wildcard allocation for the start of 2024, as well as the back half of 2023. Mitch, you and I have spoken about it on more than one occasion here. As I watch Kelly in El Salvador, he advances through the opening round in second place behind Ethan Ewing with a 6.07 and a 5.53 before going down to Gabriel Medina in the elimination round with a 5.4 and a 5.2. And I was really struck by what I was watching. You know, he remains an amazing surfer. His timing, his board placement. Over the last few events, they've looked sparky in a way that we, we haven't seen in a while. But as someone who's been watching him surf really closely for a few decades at this point, I, I'm kind of blown away by just how similar his approach and timing and board placement is at 51 years old as it was during his prime. Now, I'm sure there are elements of that that are up for debate. I'm sure he challenged that. But my point is the framework, the skeleton of the Kelly Slater wave riding approach is pretty similar when you look at the lines he takes. And part of that experience for me in 2023 is dealing with the dissonance of watching him perform like Kelly Slater and knowing that he's the best surfer that ever lived, while also at the same time, completely knowing that these are mid-range scores at best and no way is he going to beat Ethan or Gabriel or the like. And I have to hold both of those thoughts in my head at the same time. And I'm watching him surf in El Salvador and it got me thinking, when was the last time that Kelly Slater scored an excellent score uh, on a single wave? So excellent 8.0 or better for something that was not a barrel and I looked into it. Now, Mitch, would you like to guess when the last time Kelly got an excellent single score for something that wasn't a barrel? I want to say J-Bay, maybe 2018 or 19, but I couldn't be sure. Give me the answer. You're in the range. You're in the range. So the last time was Surf Ranch, 2019. Okay. So that's four years ago, mm -hmm. 27 CT events ago. Of course, that doesn't take into account what we said, Pipe and Tahiti and even Rio, where he's clocked yep. excellent scores for barrels. But four years is shocking to me. Now, look, I know there may be listeners who want to discount Surf Ranch on account of it. It's his wave and it's not in the ocean, which is fine. But he did post two excellent scores in the elimination round at Margaret River in 2019 as well. So it's about the same time frame. But we've talked about this before. We've talked about his motivation. We've talked about his injuries. We've talked about what the bookend to the greatest competitive surfing career in history could look like. And I think he can remain really competitive in critical waves and barrels for years. And he's proving that regularly at places like Pipe and Chopu. But these are the best surfers in the world in all conditions and wave types. And the reality is he just hasn't been competitive in the excellent range outside of the barrel for, for several years at this point. Dave, you still got a, a landline, Dave. I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised. You, <laughs> I know. I was on the heater, too. I'm like, ah, oh, it's... It's what anyway. happens when you talk about Kelly. This is what happens when I know, you talk it's about him. Kelly. It's Kelly. <laughs> He's like, what did you say about my scores? <laughs> I'm like, man, these are... I'll put it out there. It's not even a criticism, because who am I to critique? This is just an observation, you know? like. But what do you think about that, Mitch? Like, what, like, like I, I mean, it... it I guess it probably doesn't shock you. You kind of had the same 
your age, like well, four years, but it, I was like, kind of like, oh my God. Well, first of all, we've talked about it, what, in the eight episodes that we've had, you know, since the CT started together. And I mean, it, it's true. I mean, he's struggled to find quality waves, first of all, Dave. It's like, how can you not identify the best waves when you're the best surfer that's ever been alive? And that, to me, mm. is something that I think is really difficult to comprehend. And just to add on another stat about that wave in 2019 at the surf ranch, the right is a very uh, barrel-heavy wave, too. Mm. So a big a big portion of his points on that excellent score had to have come from the barrel as well. But, um, you know, I just think that I saw moments of brilliance once again, like one or two turns on each of those waves where he was getting a five or a six on. But it just didn't seem like he had that extra spark, that extra level where he could just go to like Gabe has, like Ethan has. Even Liam O'Brien had it. I mean, he made the semifinals in a clutch performance when he beat Barron and me in the quarters too. But I don't see him having that extra uh, that extra little pep in his step in order to get those sevens or the eights and even maybe go up into the ninth if he were to need um, a score like that too. What I will say though is that he showed up. He went and surfed. I didn't necessarily expect him to show up, even if he did get the wild card for the end of this year and the beginning of 24. But um, overall, I want to see more because mm. if I want to see more, it means that the public wants to see more of Kelly Slater. And if it weren't for Kelly, I don't think any, any of us would really have the jobs that we would like right now. We would have the careers that we would have in surfing because of him. So um, keep it up, Kelly. I mean, at least try, man. Uh, you know, you've been given an opportunity that a lot of people like and Ramsey Bukim is one of those people that uh, was looking for a shot on the championship tour, and he didn't even surf a CT event as a rookie. So, I I, I stand by your your opinion, Dave. I, I think it's a great one, and uh, that actually brings me to my second loser, and it's a person that maybe underperformed based off of a gradual spike in competition and just talented level of brilliance and cognition when it came to recognizing the wave like the surf ranch, and that was Caitlin Simmers. At Punta Roca. Mm. She surfed great in the first round, had a sick air, wasn't able to complete the ride, ended up being a small score because of that. But when it came to the elimination round, she was comboed in the first 10 minutes. It did not look good for her. And then overall, had a bad performance afterwards. Sit, uh, sat around for around 25 minutes, I want to say. And that's just not the performance that you want to have after getting a semifinal performance at the surf ranch. A wave that is very difficult to compete at, handle the pressure. And then when she had a golden opportunity to get another good result here and stay within the top five, she loses in the elimination round. And it's a big moment for the American surfer now knowing that Caroline Marks moved up and Tyler Wright moved mm. up in the rankings as well there. It's a really good note. And it um, be interesting to see how Katie does cross the back three events before the final. She's having an awesome rookie season. She's had a win. and But I think that's a great one. You know, my, my second loser out of El Salvador, uh, it's slightly less serious than my last one, I guess, depending on who you ask. But my second loser from El Salvador was just the opportunity for any of us to see any CT surfer don the hooded rash guard or surf shirt in the arena of CT competition. Now, I know this sounds a bit silly, but I was talking to a few folks about this and I'm not 100% sure if he was the first, but my impression is that John John either introduced or reintroduced the concept of the hooded rash guard or surf shirt a couple of years ago via his company, Florence Marine. Full utilitarian piece of equipment. And when I saw it come out, I thought, oh yeah, that seems like a pretty good idea, but I obviously don't surf anything like John, so I don't know if I can pull it off in the water, but I did get one. I've used it, you know, paddle boarding with my kids for sun protection. It's really nice. And I brought it on a recent surf trip as like a maybe, you know, and I will tell you two things. Number one, the hooded rash guard surf shirt was essentially a universally owned item where I was. Everyone had one. Everyone wore it. I was shocked. And it's no bullshit. It saved my trip. Like midday in the sun sessions, like it, it, it is a lifesaver. You Jedi mode, you put the hood on for paddling and sitting. The set comes, you take the hood off, you catch your wave, kick out, you put it back on. I will never not bring one uh, in the future. And now everyone's making them, you know, Billabong and Visla, Rip Curl, Hurley, Quicksilver, like everyone's got one. So it doesn't really matter what brand you go with, but from all reports of, of how intense the midday heat was in El Salvador, it seemed like the perfect opportunity for one, if not more, of the world's best surfers to rock one in a heat, but we didn't get it, so, so maybe next year. This is what I'm going to propose to you, Dave, and I think you should propose this to a couple of 
the people, you know, that are higher ups. Why don't you just write <laughs> a letter that just says, hey, we should have options when we go to these events where the sun is out. It's extremely hot. Let's make some hooded rash guards for these surfers that they can take out if they would like, just as an option. Interesting. I hadn't even considered, I was thinking underneath the jersey, but that makes all the sense in the world. Like I, and, and not to be a craven opportunist, but the tour is not cheap. We got to pay for it somehow. I feel like the back of the hood is a great branding opportunity for, for a sure. partner. So I'm, I'm sure. into it. I'm into it. We just get solved a, the problem here on the podcast. So like Get a Corona logo on there and we're, we're going to solve <laughs> the Corona as we can. I feel like since we came up with it, there should be like a lineup logo, at least on the ear or something, sure. maybe on the ears, both ears, like a headphones <laughs> with a little lineup logo on the side. <laughs> hey, I'm down for that. And actually, I'm glad that you brought up the hoodie because that's actually leading to my third loser. And it is John John Florence. And not to be mm. pessimistic towards his performance, but for how the waves were, first time competing there, he had already, he had already been there competing for the ISA World Surfing Games for the United States. And it just seemed like he wasn't on point in either of the two heats that he surfed, Dave. In the opening mm. round, didn't look like he was really finding his rhythm. Wasn't in connection with the ocean. And then in the elimination round, he had his back up against the wall, especially knowing that he didn't get a good result at the surf bench. This was a golden opportunity for him to capitalize at a right-hand point break with a lot more power. With great boards, by the way, too. He was riding a brand-new Red Tiger that looked awesome underneath mm. his feet during the free surfs. But then he matches up against Rio Wida. And Rio maybe has the best performance of his life against John John in that elimination round. A huge moment for the two-time world champion isn't able to come out with a good result, Dave. And as of right now, he's out of the top five picture with only three mm. events to go. It's a great one. And Rio surfed unbelievably well. Like surfed, I think, like very close to the potential that we knew he had. He just looked great. And I don't know what kind of support team John had in El Salvador, but I am under the impression that his coach, Ross Williams, his filmer, Eric Knutson, his road manager, Brandon Wasserman, they are all either en route or are already in Rio. So it sounds like they are have the full arsenal uh, with them. And, and I know he has his eyes set on that final five. You know, my, my third loser coming out of El Salvador is not dissimilar, but it's Jack Robinson's 2023 world title campaign. It, it appears to be in a bit of free fall, right? He starts the season with a win at Pipeline, a semifinal at Sunset Beach, a runner-up in Portugal. And he's, at that point, very firmly in the, the yellow leader jersey. And then he injures his knee during Bells. He finishes that event with the 17th. He withdraws from his hometown event of Margaret River. He's an early exit from Surf Ranch with a 17th, an early exit from El Salvador with another 17th. And now he's not only not in the yellow leader jersey, but he too has fallen outside the current top five for the first time all season, now sitting at number six. So looking ahead at Sakurama, Jeffries Bay, and Chopu, these are three events he could absolutely win because he's that good, but unsure if he's fully recovered from his injury yet. And with regards to the aforementioned world title campaign, for someone like Jack with apex surfers like Felipe Toledo and potentially Griffin Colapinto, Zhao Xianca, Ethan Ewing, Gabriel Medina, and John John Florence, all stalking the Rip Curl WSL finals field. You know, finishing in the top five is one thing. Having a high seed and being able to avoid head-to-heads with these surfers is an entirely different thing. Yeah. And, and we'll see what happens over the course of these three events. But I think for Jack to have success at lowers, he's going to be in a much better position if he can finish further up the rankings in the final five than squeaking in at five and having to battle these, what, what is shaping up to be one of the gnarliest fields we've ever seen at the event. I 100% agree. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better like that, Dave, because as we saw last year, even if you're the number five seed, you can move up into number one and be a world champion at the end of the day at the Rip Curl WSL Finals. Stephanie Gilmore was able to employ that and then ended up becoming mm -hmm. an eight-time mm -hmm. world champion now. Italo, same thing. He moved from number four all the way to number two, nearly had and, and forced Felipe to get a third match out of them. Um, fortunately for Felipe, that didn't happen, and he ended up becoming a world champion that day. But um, overall, I think you're spot on because the higher mm -hmm. your seed is, the less heats you have to surf, the less fatigued you are, the more you're able to focus on your surfing rather than actual preparation before the event happens. And that actually leads to uh, my first winner 
out of mm. El Salvador. And I actually think it was Latin American surfing. If you look mm. at Brian Perez's performance, Leilani McGonigal's performance, look, Brian had to come up against one and two in the world in consecutive rounds. Face Griffin Cole Pinto had him up against the ropes. 15 points, I think, in the first 20 minutes of the heat. Best performance I've ever seen him have in a jersey. Elimination mm. round, right when it comes down to the wire, was needing a score. Just barely got edged out by Joao Chianca. And I mean, we're talking about a surfer that isn't known very much for his competitive mm. surfing. He's a social media sensation. But overall, the kid was able to perform under the spotlight at home, too. If you've ever donned a rash guard and you know how to compete at home, or you know the pressures of, of competing at home yourself, it is the most difficult thing to do. And being mm. able to handle that pressure at home was incredible to see for him. His stock went up. Central American and Latin American surfing went up because of him too. And then Lilani McGonigal, elimination round against Tyler Wright, nearly edges her out, had a near mm. excellent score right there at the end, and just barely lost the heat to Tyler Wright. Overall, of course, the Brazilians, we count them as Latin Americans too. Felipe mm -hmm. winning. Joao Chianca still in the top five, and Itala Fejeda making two quarterfinals or better at El Salvador. So big, big things coming from Latin America. I really like what I'm seeing, and I think this moves up the stock for a lot of countries like Peru and, of course, Mexico on the championship tour in years to come as well, Dave. It's a really good point. Both Brian and Leilani surfed awesome out there and and i think you make the right point about latin american surfing obviously there's been a strong presence with brazil in recent years but those central american countries that have not only great surf but world-class surfers just getting a, a little bit more support maybe having a similar domestic competitive infrastructure that brazil's had for a number of years and mm -hmm. and seeing more and more of them kind of matriculate through the challenger series to get on the championship tour is a great thing you know my first winner uh, coming out of El Salvador is, uh, I think we already touched on it, but frankly, it's El Salvador surf tourism, you know? Speaking as a sample size of one, as I said before, between watching the event and then being exposed to everyone's social media feeds uh, during competition and maybe more importantly on the lay days, it looks so much fun, you know, warm water, rippable waves every year, uh, everywhere. And um, yeah, I know I mentioned, you know, we're in Southern California at the moment. We're coming off of one of the, the less productive winters we've had, a really rough spring and um, kind of a horrifyingly uh, wave-starved June gloom at the moment. And I was definitely Googling how much flights were to get down there because it seemed like a lot of fun for a surf trip. And, um, you know, Mitch, you were down there. Like, am I tripping or, or is El Salvador a really good hang for surfer? What's, what's, what are the pros and cons of being down there? Well, pros... Waves are great, food's awesome, and the people are some of the nicest you'll ever meet in your life. The only cons I will say, it is hot as hell, Dave. So be prepared to bring some liquid IVs. Know that you're going to be sweating all day inside and outside the water. So, I mean, if that's the only con that you can really look at, it's not a bad one to have. You'd rather be in warmer no. weather than in colder weather. Totally. And we've already solved one of the issues with our, our lineup branded WSL hooded rash guards. So we're in, we're in good shape. Who, who's your second winner out of El Salvador, Mitch? Hey, second winner has to be the leader of the rankings. Three finals mm. in the row for the Californian Griffin Colapinto. Makes the final in Margaret River. Loses to eventual champion Gabe Medina. Wins at the Surf Ranch. I would say the biggest win of his career so far, especially being at home in California. And then makes back-to-back -back finals at Punta Roca, especially coming up against Felipe in the final. He brought it to him at the beginning. Didn't really find the waves at the end of the heat to get him out of combination. But still, I mean, you're leading the rankings. And both one and two in the world are way far out in front besides everybody mm -hmm. else in the rankings. So it's a huge moment for him. And especially if he's trying to qualify for his home break of lower trestles for the Rip Curl WSL finals this September. This is the moment to do it, Dave. Brazil hasn't really been the best spot for him historically, mm. but J-Bay has. He's made finals day there multiple times. And when it comes to Tahiti, we know that he can charge too. It's a great one. It's actually really in line with, with my second winner and, and, and mine is, is San Clemente. And, and now look, I'm on record as being what, <laughs> what I'd like to think is um, fair, but also critical when it comes to San Clemente and its current place in the broader surfing world. But the results are looking really good for them right now. You mentioned Griffin Colapinto leading the rankings, San Clemente's favored son at the moment. And and I think unless something insane happens across these back three events, San Clemente is going to have 
a hometown boy in the Rip Curl WSL finals competing for a world title at Lower Trestles. And that's pretty exciting. And, you know, beyond Griffin, you also have uh, transplant, uh, transplants to San Clemente, like Caroline Marks, who's originally from Florida, and Felipe Toledo, who's originally from Brazil, who live in the area and regularly train in San Clemente in between CT stops. And they both won the event, you know. So, yeah, San Clemente is my second winner coming out of El Salvador. Amazing pick. No argument there because the quality waves, the consistency that San Clemente provides for a lot of these surfers and especially for a lot of Brazilians that want to be able to be in a larger market than what they normally have, you know, in South America, it's a huge opportunity for them. And I think Felipe overall, it was the right decision for him to make. I don't think if it weren't mm. for that move to San Clemente, he wouldn't be as complete of a surfer and as competitive as he normally was. So I fully back that. And I think we got to mention Cole Hausman too, uh, top mm. five currently Great on the one. Challenger Series rankings as well. Sorry, Limblad close to qualifying a few years now. And I think overall, San Clemente is going to even throw out a few more servers in the next few years that would be promptly qualifying for the championship tour. But leading to my number one winner for this event in Punta Roca, it has to be the men's champion, Felipe Toledo. I would have mm. to say a pivotal moment in the year for him, coming off of a disappointing performance at the Surf Ranch, Dave, and knowing that a win here was crucial for him because we're going into Sacuarema. The last three mm. times we've had the CT event here, he has been victorious. And I'm not mm. even kidding you, with the swell that we're looking for the forecast, I think he's going to go four times in a row. Um, he's just unstoppable. He's won at JV. I think he has maybe the best competitive wave I've ever seen in a jersey, which was in JV in 2017, the double alley-oop wave. He's made the semifinals in Tahiti before. To me, he's lining up for another year to be a back-to-back -back world champion. And that's what I expect him to be at the end of the season in 2023. Has he really won in Rio three years in a row? Like 18, 19, and 21. 18, 19, tw and 20, 21? Yeah, because we didn't have the event in 20, remember? We didn't have the event in 20. Do we go there in 21, though? Because oh, no. he won 22. in 22. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, okay. Yeah, 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 no, I'm just I'm tripping. I, I'm just, I'm shocked. Like, I, and I, I think people have three-peated at venues like back to back to back in a row i don't mm -hmm. we'll have to look i don't know if anyone's ever done it four years in a row like that Not would be insane yeah yeah nothing nothing comes to mind i mean i i'm gonna have a look at that 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 seems insane but yeah i mean i think that's a great pick i think your your analysis of felipe is spot on and you know my final winner coming out of el salvador is um is us, you know, it's it's surfing writ large because the current battle for a place in the WSL Final Five and a shot for competing for the world title at September's Rip Curl WSL Finals, you know, we mentioned it before, but the current top five for the men, number one, Griffin Colapinto, number two, Felipe Toledo, number three, Zhao Xianca, number four, Ethan Ewing, number five, Gabriel Medina. Then sitting just outside of that, you have Jack Robinson, John John Florence, and Italo Ferreira. That is an insane concentration of superstar talent all looking for one of those five positions. And then on the women's side, the current top five are Carissa Moore, Tyler Wright, Caroline Marks, Molly Picklum, and then Stephanie Gilmore and Tatiana Westenweb are tied at fifth. Sitting just outside of that, you have the rookie Katie Simmers, followed by Lakey Peterson, both of them trying to crack in. So for all of us out there, we get to watch what happens across Sakurama, Jeffreys Bay, and Chopu to see whether the current top five can hold or if any of the named or even unnamed uh, challengers can hunt them down and break in. So as a as a fan, you know, taking my WSL hat way, way off and just as a surf fan, I'm, I'm super excited to see what happens across these three events. Yeah, and especially knowing that, you know, the potential for the waves in Tahiti, just as we saw last year, I really want to see good and big waves when we get there. And I think having an event that's challenging for you physically and mentally in order to qualify for the World Championship Day, that to me is a huge moment in the sport of surfing because it really demonstrates that even though you have to qualify for an event, it's more performance-based wave, you still have to be able to put it together in the harshest of conditions. And we could eventually see that in Tahiti. We saw it last year, and especially with the wildcard performances of Kali Voss, too, making the final. Mm. Oh, I'm excited, Dave. We got three events that are just going to be amazing to watch at the end of the year. 
It's a great note. And that's going to wrap it up for our winners and losers segment. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com lineup. All right, we are back at the lineup. My name is Dave Proden. I'm here with Mitch Salazar, and it's now time to give an update on the 2023 Visla CT Shaper rankings. Shaper ranking! For those who are not initiated yet, we are ranking the Shapers this season based on points uh, from the performances of their respective surfers that finish in the quarterfinals or better. It's a combined rankings, men's or women's. The higher the surfer places, the more points the shaper receives. And we are tracking the Visla CT Shaper rankings from event one through event 10 and will crown the CT Shaper of the year before September's Rip Curl WSL finals. So when the dust had settled on the Visla CT Shaper rankings post Surf City El Salvador, we had Matt Biolis and the Mayhem surfboards team re-cementing their position at the number one spot uh, with Caroline Marks's win, Griffin Colapinto's runner-up finish, and then thirds from Carissa Moore and a newly supported Ian Gentile, which we'll talk more about later, I'm sure, as well as a fifth from Gabriella Bryan. DHD and Sharpie are in second and third, respectively. And then there is a lot of daylight between the current three-horse race of Mayhem, DHD, and Sharpie and the rest of the field. You know, Channel Islands and Pizel, they're in fourth and fifth, but with nearly half the points as the current top three at the moment. Mitch, you were on the ground there. What were your observations from the trenches of El Salvador with regards to the state of play with surfboards? Um, well, first of all, I think it's really important to note that um, most people were riding high-performance shortboards. We barely saw any 2 plus 1 twin fins or any boards that were more for down-the-line surfing. Because, let's be honest, people were bringing those boards down there. I mean, I saw Carissa with an MR California twin. Uh, during the ISA event, Griffin was actually riding a retro tripper, which I have in my board bag right now. Thing works mm. great, good all-around board. But when it came down to the actual competition, everybody was on a high-performance shortboard. And regardless right. of what brand you were riding, they wanted something that was going to be able to fit in the pocket and turn fast when they needed to. I think fin setup was super crucial for this one, too, because it has so much speed moving you down the line. You want a, a fin that's able to control speed a lot more. But overall, dude, Mayhem is on a roll right now, Dave. They mm. are unstoppable. Caroline Marks, a huge win. Carissa Moore finishing third on the men's side of Griffin, making the final once again. And I just want to say a big golf clap to Ian Gentile because, man, mm. did he surf amazing. 
And I think he really deserves a lot of credit for what he was able to do. And especially riding that driver 3.0, which is the highest performance surfboard that Mayhem Matt Biolos makes. It just looked great underneath his feet. Nearly edged out Felipe in the semifinals. Had a score in the eights, an excellent score with an alley-oop. And I was so excited to see him fully perform at the level that he's capable of. Dropping his first excellent score of the season, by the way, Dave, in the semifinals mm. and his best performance of the year so far. He looked great, man. Like I was, and as someone who's been a fan of his surfing for a long time since he was a little kid, he was on the scene, and then, you know, he's talked about it. He he had the big contracts and all the pressure, and he kind of burned out, and he went away from the scene. He went to college did some schooling and then was still, you know, hanging in Maui. He was still a standout every time Honolulu Bay broke and was still doing the QS and then, and then put a campaign together last year on the challenger series and made it. And he's currently unsponsored. He's got those beautiful kind of just empty white surfboards. He was riding sharp eyes for the bulk of the year, switched it up to mayhems in El Salvador. And your point's absolutely right. Like, He's so deadly in so many conditions and I think is really underrated because of mm-hmm. how much he's flown under the radar in recent years. Um, but yeah, he pushed Felipe in that semi. Felipe had to go kind of crazy um, just to push back. And it, it was really, really cool to see. One thing I wanted to unpack, Mitch, you mentioned everyone's riding high performance uh, shortboards there. And a few of the surfers at the ISA games, you know, uh, Carissa was on MR California twin. Uh, you mentioned Griffin was on a retro ripper. So, so two questions there, you know, at those events that don't have the same kind of consequences as like a challenger oh. series event or a championship tour event. Do you think they're just kind of blowing off steam, testing some equipment Number one. And then number two, can you remember the last time a CT surfer rode sort of your non-Ferrari board in CT waves? In a, in a Because, I mean, in the past we've had Dane on the Dumpster Diver or the MTFA. You know, Kelly was riding, you know, the Wizard Sleeve and, and sort of these unconventional shapes. But outside of maybe a quad set up at a barrel somewhere, I'm trying to ha- I'm having a hard time thinking the last time someone rode something that was just not your your super high-performance board? Well, the last time somebody won on a non-high-performance board, well, it, I, I guess you could still have to call it a high-performance board. It was the Wizard Sleeve in 2010 when Kelly won at Snapper Rocks, the first event of the season. Um, I actually think he beat Taj Burrow in the final there. But um, Felipe won on a quad last year at Lowers, and I know it's a dark art sharp eye, but the thing's still a quad, and I think a lot of people still don't think that a quad is necessarily a board that you would ride for performance reporting. Um, but overall, you don't see it every day. I mean, out of 10 heats that people are going to surf, maybe once. And this is a wave that really needs your full attention. You need to be riding the equipment that is necessary for a wave as difficult to ride and as difficult to read as Punta Roca. And going back to the ISA games, I knew somebody was going to ask me this question because uh, not to say that there's not an incentive for certain surfers, right. there is. yeah. But not for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. you have the qualification systems for, you know, Paris 2024. And overall, the WCT is tier number one. So 10 people mm-hmm. are going to be able to qualify for the championship tour on both the men's and women's side. And I think for certain people like Carissa, who need to defend their spot on the championship tour, through the rankings. Same thing for Griffin. They just need to edge out the other Americans on, on tour to be able to qualify for Paris. The motivation and the incentive is different. So I didn't mm. necessarily expect them to go out and compete 100% like they would in the CT jersey because that's mm. where they really need to shine. They need to outdo right. each other when it comes to CT competition. It goes back to that question we, we I love asking when we get CT surfers on the podcast, though, is like, what kind of surfer are you? Are this a surfer that has to ride their Ferrari all the time to keep that blade as sharp as possible? Or do you like to mix it up? And you get you get different answers. Like some people are like, no, I have to like ride the like Mick Fanning was like this for years. He's like, I ride the same board, two foot D-ball, you know, six foot snapper, whatever it is because I want to stay as sharp as possible on that. So it's, it is interesting to see both Griffin and Carissa kind of probably just blow off a little bit of steam and like relax a bit and, and, and try something a bit different. It was really cool. I, I will one, one little point of order though, because I was thinking about this too. And, and as someone who has owned a wizard sleeve or two from channel islands, um, 
Kelly, I think he wrote that one in 2009. And the reason I remember that is I was there and I was watching him surf and I was like, oh my God, he just come off of winning the world title in 2008. It was in this run where every year we'd start on the Gold Coast and everyone would question whether Kelly was going to do the full year or not. Inevitably, he did pretty well on the Gold Coast. So I think that kind of force of momentum kind of was like, oh, you have to go for another world title. But 2009, we're there. It wasn't a very good year for waves at Snapper Rocks. It was kind of small, crumbly, like, like two foot. And Kelly was riding this wizard sleeve around the event and a D-Bond and then after the event at Greenmount. And I remember thinking like, he looks unbelievable. And it, it just looks so cool. He rides it against a wildcard Julian Wilson in his heat in round three, and he loses. And I remember all the pundits were like, Kelly's not taking this seriously anymore. Look at this stupid board he was riding. And he immediately abandoned it, like didn't ride it like again in a competition. And I, and I thought that was such a bummer because I'm like, just the wave sucked and Julian was on a heater and, you know, who knows how it goes. But I was bummed because Kelly kind of didn't ride it again in competition anymore. He did in 2008 win pipeline on like a deep six, which was like a similar yeah. derivative of the wizard sleeve. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's been a minute since we've seen surfers ride, like regularly ride kind of alternative craft. You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about was um, with regards to surfboards, we were lucky enough to have Darren Hanley from DHD surfboards on last week's podcast, which was a real treat. He was so insightful and humble. And if uh, listeners haven't checked it out yet, I, I recommend you do. And he had two really interesting things uh, that I pulled out of it. He had a lot, but the two I want to talk about. The first that I want to get your opinion on, I asked him about having both Mick Fanning and Joel Parkinson on his team at one point. So very early on, DH signs a young Mick Fanning to the program. Joel Parkinson, who relocates from the Sunshine Coast down to the Gold Coast, he's riding Dahlbergs, he switches over, he starts riding uh, DHDs. And then within a period of time, he moves on, he starts writing JS Industries. And I, I asked Darren about this and he had a really good point and he brought it up with sort of admiration to how Marcio and the Sharp Eye team was able to hold so much talent on one team at the same time. He said, look, having more than one apex surfer on your team as a board builder is really difficult because they all expect all your time, they all expect all your focus. And even if you're giving it to them, in the back of their mind, they're like, I wonder if the other person's getting it. And he said he was you know, disappointed to lose Joel to JS, but he, he had this very Zen comment where he said, honestly, like if I'd kept both of them on the team, it's possible that they just would have cannibalized each other to the point where they didn't go on to achieve what they actually did. You know, he's like, Joel went to JS, he won a ton of CTs, he surfed amazing, he won his world title in 2012, Mick stayed with DHD, he won a ton of CTs, he won three world titles, you know, so so it was cool, and I, and I thought, that's really interesting, and I want to get your take on it, obviously, as, as, as a great surfer yourself, but just an, an analyst, and, and what it's like having kind of these really premium surfers on the same board program. Well, look, I think... Um the point they bring up is very important because it demonstrates that there's so many quality shapers out there. And especially with boards that are, you know, machine made for the most part nowadays, there are very few variations between a great board and a board that is just going to work or underperform a little bit. Mm. And I think Italo is the perfect point about that because Timmy Patterson doesn't have more than one rider on the championship tour. And Italo right. being the only surfer that he had in 2019 ended up becoming the world champion that year. And remember, he had to surf against Gabriel Magina in the final of Pipeline to determine who was world number one at the end of the event. And yep. Gabe's either riding Caviancas or Tacoros. And they're right. not the most mainstream boards either. So I think to your point, yes, I could see a little bit of cannibalism. And, and I agree to a certain extent with Darren Hanley. But I don't necessarily think that that would have fully happened because I think Bruce and Andy riding JSs at the same time was so imperative for them to grow the brand, grow the sport. And I think what you're seeing with Sharp by a lot nowadays, Kanoa, Jack, Felipe, obviously being the, the world champion currently, these are all guys that are riding the same boards, for the most part, the same shapes, or at least very high-performance surfboards. And guess what? They're pushing each other to excel at a new level. Mm -hmm. And I think unless Channel Island starts doing that a lot more, unless Pizel starts doing that a lot more, and not that John Pizel needs the marketing or the publicity because he has potentially the greatest surfer on the planet right now on his team riding his boards. There needs to be a push 
for these people to get outside of their comfort zones and start experimenting with boards that are going to progress the level to even higher expectations. And we just saw that with Felipe winning last year on a carbon-wrapped board on a quad mm. setup, too. Given, I will say that he won that event at a wave that he knows. It's his mm. backyard. He lives there full-time now. But in the end, it comes down to the person that is looking to push the sport the most. And I think that's why Kelly has been so significant to board building, because he was able to think outside of the box at many different events. That year, he beat Chris Ward in the final in 2008 at Pipeline. Dude, mm. it was a big backdoor, Dave. And he was riding either a 5.6 or a 5.8 on 10-foot backdoor waves. Mm. And those kind of moments are imperative to progress a sport and progress board shaping. It's a really good point. Um, you know, the second thing that DH that struck me in the conversation with DH was just how intentional it seems that that he's gone about building like the succession plan for the next generation of surfers at the elite level. You know, he talked about being so focused on Ethan and Molly at the moment, as well as you know Liam and Connor mm -hmm. um, on tour, and he he, he referenced doing quite a bit with Jacob Wilcox, who's coming up from the CS right now, is a fantastic surfer. It seems like in in addition to um in addition to him having Mick Fanning, which he claims is like an unfair advantage because Mick's so great in terms of, you know, influencing board talk design and evangelizing with other surfers, he he said, you know, we really think about these things and we want to make sure that we're represented on tour the whole time. You just brought up two programs, JS and Channel Islands, that have had a bit of a gap, right, in terms of having those elite level world champs. You know, what do you see on tour at the moment in terms of who's taking the succession plan seriously and maybe who needs to go back to the drawing board? Well, I, I think DHD and Sharpie are probably at the forefront of that. Mm. But I will say that I think Mayhem has done that very well over the last decade because Caroline Marks has been on those boards forever. Colohandino's right. ridden the same boards forever. And I think Griffin Colopinto being number one in the world exemplifies what Matt Biolis has been able to do with Mayhem, you know, since 91, since he started the brand. So um, having those kids ride his boards from a young age. And I think another person on the women's side is also Gabriella Bryan. She got a mm. quarterfinal finish here at Punta Roca. She's been riding Mayhems for many years now, too. And, you know, just having them, uh, as you were saying, minimize the generational gap between surfers right. that are riding their constructs and not riding them is imperative for them to be able to uh, be globally known and accepted as a board brand with a high reputation. And you mm -hmm. want to precede yourself with even better performances than you have in the past. And I think that's what happened with Steph last year, riding at DHD mm -hmm. again. And she's right. always been a long-time rider for them. But look at what happened now. Last year, you had a couple of people on Sharp Eyes. You had Timmy Patterson represented with Italo. And you had two surfers with DHDs in, in the final five. One on the men's side, Ethan Ewing. And one, the world champion, Stephanie Gilmore, on the other side. So I see less of a generational gap. But we're also talking about the three highest board builders on the rankings right now. That's Mayhem, it's DHD, and it's Sharp Eye. It's really interesting. And, and we talked about it in the lead up and how, how much daylight those top three board companies have created on the rankings now. And it really is kind of a three horse race to see who will be CT Shaper of the year in 2023. You know, one thing that you and I talked about rolling this uh, rankings program out in the pilot year of, of this season was... You know, it's it's not we're not comparing apples to apples and pretending that uh, a program like Borst or Patterson, who's got one surfer on their team, is necessarily going to be competitive with Sharpie, who at one point had 13. Right. But it's a great vessel for us to kind of analyze how these different companies are performing. And, you know, Sharpie, DHD, Mayhem and Channel Islands are all in kind of that upper tier of having you know, half a dozen surfers on tour or, or in some cases like Sharp Eye, a dozen. But I think the rankings is really bearing out in terms of performance because Mayhem are currently at the top. They don't have the biggest team. You know, they just have a team that has been producing in, in ridiculous mm -hmm. fashion for the last few events. And, you know, looking ahead to Sacramento compared to Punta Roca, you know, it's a different kind of wave. In your opinion, do you think we're going to be seeing different equipment um, and if so, why and what do you think we're going to see? 
Um, if you do see different equipment, it'll be slight variations. You're probably still going to see high-performance shortboards. I actually just went and checked the waves before we started recording, and it seems like the swell's picking up. But this wave here has a lot of power. Um, I compared a lot to Eokai Beach Park on the north shore of Oahu. Just one of those beach breaks that moves a lot, tends to be quite heavy, and more importantly, has a lot of push behind it too. So you can get away with uh, riding your normal shortboard out here. If you want to go down just a little bit and add a little bit more volume, you can do that too on the smaller days. But on the days with a lot of size, you're still riding your normal shortboard. Um, what I will say though, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few people ride the dark art sports or, or constructions like EPS, something with a bit more flotation out here, especially on the cleaner days. Because mm -hmm. you want something that's a bit more buoyant, just because you do have to manage to deal with the backwash every now and then. That backwash can be so difficult to manage out here, Dave. If, if you're not out front of it, you're going to get plunged and maybe even catapulted by that thing that's coming at you. Makes all the sense in the world. Well, that's it for the update for the Visla CT Shaper rankings. Congrats once again to Matt Biolis and Mayhem for holding on to that top spot. We've been saying this all season and it is bearing out. A lot can change from event to event. So we will see what happens in Sacarema and across the rest of the season. We're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we will answer listener questions. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, everybody, welcome back to the lineup. I'm your part-time co-host, Mitchell Salazar, here with Dave Proden. And Dave, we're going to get into our Instagram fan questions. Remember, if you don't, we don't get to your question today, you can always write us at the lineup pod, and we will be able to respond in our DMs, as we always do. All right, Dave, let's start off with our first question, at jhaley87. Is Jacko at full strength and able to compete at the level he was? during the first few events. That's obviously referring to Jack Robinson. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know for a fact, but obviously it came up in winners and losers and, and just the free fall that he's been since hurting himself at, at Bell's Beach compared to those opening few uh, events. And, and yeah, Mitch, you may have more intel just because you've been on the ground, but it, yeah, I, I mean, knee injuries are tough. And, and I think that speculating, you know, since he had a great start to the year, I mean, I'm sure it was a difficult decision for him to withdraw from his hometown event at Margaret River. Um, but also he's probably fighting just the, the, the desire to capitalize on his good start and wanting to be in the title hunt, wanting to be in a good position that, you know, you could be working really hard and then you can still be trying to come back a little too soon. I don't know if that's the case. Like, the level of surfing, as we kind of highlighted in this podcast, and all of them is so high that even superstars like Jack Robinson can be at full strength and still have the rough results, right? But, you know, I'm not sure. Mitch, what, what do you think about the question of Jack's uh, health at the moment? Do you think he's 100%? I don't think he's 100%. He didn't seem that way at Punta mm. Roca. Um, you know, he had his mm. ankle taped up too. It didn't seem like he was yep. fully comfortable or he was pushing to the level that we normally see him at. Um, I spoke to him after the heat when he lost in the elimination round, though, and he, he did say that it was more of a mental thing for him. He wants to push hard, but 
his body's not allowing him to. Um, and mm. you know, we've seen it with John Doe in the past, you know, when he's not a hundred percent, he's not performing the way he wants to, or the way we want to see him surf. So, you know, unfortunately, I don't know, with three events to go, um, you know, Rio's going to be a, an event where I think we're really going to be able to see whether or not he's going to be able to get 200% or close to it. Right. J-Bay is maybe a f- less physically demanding wave because it's a longer wave. You can draw your turns a bit more. You can be a bit more selective with the wave. But at a beach break, it needs to be game on from the get-go, and you need to be going 100%, or if not, you're not going at all. But Tahiti, same thing. You just need to make the drop. It's not as physically taxing. Really just set your line. So could have a shot. I don't know. I, th- I think it's going to be really hard with the top 10 that we have right now, though. Um, but our second question, um, at, under- at Roy underscore Evans 1, will we see a left-hand point break on tour anytime soon? <laughs> Despite Caroline Marks's win, it feels like regular footers have the advantage. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be... He, Roy is Roy is really you know throwing a cat amongst the pigeons as they say with Mitch and I on this podcast since we're both um, goofy footers and have both been advocates for more or less on tour for probably a while. You know, I'd love to see it. I I think it is challenging, right? Like, I mean, the bottom line is there's just not as many out there that are in places where you can run events. Um, you know, Peru's got awesome left-handers, um, point breaks. Um, I've been fortunate enough to go there for, for women's CTs in the past. It's fantastic. Obviously, Ragland in New Zealand's fantastic. We've run events at Uluwatu. Um, and it's not a point break, but, you know, high-performance left-hander of, of, like, you know, a cloud break or a restaurant on its day. You know, in the past, we've had, you know, um, St. Lou at Reunion Island. There, there are really high-performance left-handers out there. Um, it's just a matter of trying to find um, the right window, the right supporters. Obviously, we mentioned that these events aren't cheap. we got to be able to fund them somehow. Um <laughs> And but yeah, I, I think that's the whole point. The whole point in the design of the championship tour is not to have ten events of the exact same wave or the exact same direction or the exact same bottom. We want to see who the world's best surfers are, the, comprehensively the best, not just the best tube riders, not just the best aerialists, not just the best beach break surfers in everything. And I think having another high performance left hander, whether it's a point break or you know a reef break like a Saint Lou or like a cloud break, would just add to the to the prestige of of being on tour. And I'm sure uh, Mitch and myself would be fans. I'm sure a number of the surfers on tour would be uh, fans as well. I think goofy footers would be, but at the same time, like I'm sure natural footers are kind of like, well, I'd love to be able to open up on my backhand on a, on a point break like that, or on a, on a sort of high performance left like that. Um, just like the goofy footers like Caroline Marks or Gabriel Medina have had to adapt to the right, right hand point breaks on tour. But yeah, I guess that's my my answer. Mitch, what, what do you think about it? What do you think about options out there for potentially having uh, a venue uh, 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 that would be a high-performance left-hander? Well, first of all, I think it would be huge for goofy footers. And I, I share the same opinion with you regarding the regular footers because I think they would actually really thrive in those kind of conditions. Um, say if we went to a left like Pavones in the southern part of Costa Rica. Mm. Great wave. Look at Norman McGonagall and look at what that wave has done to his backhand and to his surfing overall. I could just see Ethan Ewing. I could see Kelly showing up, knowing that it's going to be bombing, you know, during the summertime, mo- summertime months. And I can say the same thing for Peru as well. Um, I think there's plenty of mm. options out there. I wouldn't mind going back to Uluwatu. I actually think that we should have two events in Bali. I think we should go to Karamas and then to Ulus. I just don't mm. think those are premier waves. And I think logistically they're very easy to do. But, um, do I see it happening? Maybe not in the next year or two, but um, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and I'm going to be pushing as hard as anybody else. And I remember last year actually here at the spot in Sacuarema when we were doing the Challenger Series, Kaipo and I were in the booth with Travis Logie at the same time and I put him on the spot. I was like, hey, Travis, like, there's three goofy winners here in the booth, man. Like, when are we getting more lefts on tour? And he just started joking. He's like, hey, I can't give you an answer on that. So... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, It's a good question. I like it. I'm confident that in the next few years, we're eventually going to have one back. And I think that's... The, I think so. It's really important to have diversity of waves on tour. Our third question, Dave. At McKay underscore Holland. 
a comp where every wave score in a heat count store the heat total. Your thoughts? Okay, a comp where every wave score in a heat counts towards a heat total, like a cumulative total, or it's not just the two best scoring waves. Um, I don't like it, <laughs> but I, I understand I understand where the question comes from, but I think it's a good opportunity because so much of what we have in 2023 didn't just come out of the sky. It wasn't just baked in a lab. It didn't just appear. Like It's been the product of you know, optimizing the sport over the course of almost 50 years, right? And I think where the commissioner's office, tours and competitions office, and the the ASP technical committee before that, which was sort of in charge of scheduling and formats and ranking points and judging criteria and, and everything that has to do with the technical integrity of the sport, they landed on best two waves in a heat because they felt like that was the best performance product. I think if you ended up in a system where it's every single wave counts, it would just become a wave catching contest. You know, no one would really be putting an emphasis on wanting to get excellent scoring rides when they can go, I can just get like 20 sort of threes and fours and it makes sense. You know, this is a better system for me. I don't think the surfers want to do that. I don't think as fans, we really want to watch that. Um, so I, I, well, I mean, I, I really like the idea of like, look, we want to see the best surfers in the world surf the very best they've ever done in the live arena and looking for two excellent scoring waves in a 30 minute window or thereabouts is, is kind of the best system I think you can come up with. I've thought about it quite a bit and going, well, what if we just went to one wave? Like, what if they were just hunting that one amazing wave? But it, it does take away from the ability of them to be like, no, look, like I can get two great waves or even two medium scoring waves that I surf really, really well. And, mm-hmm. and I, I honestly think that all that optimization over five decades has landed us in this place where we are seeing the best surfing we've ever seen in the live arena. So I, I think that's where it should be for now. Um, but Mitch, what do you think? What do you think about the question? I don't think that kind of ideology promotes what we're looking for here at the championship tour level. You know, I see it too much with mm-hmm. the amateurs and there's a reason why we have a way limit for a lot of amateur events, because if not, it just turns into a wave catching conference, right. as you were saying. Um, in the end, you want to be able to promote respect, responsibility, and more importantly, selection of waves. And in the end, you can be the best surfer in the world, but if you're not on the best waves during the 30, 35 minute heat that you're going to be able to surf out there at the championship tour level, you're not going to be making it through most heats. Um, so I think that's where Kelly's thrived in the past. I think that's where mm. a few guys on the top have been able to do it very well lately. And I think Magina and Ethan Ewing are two of the best examples on the men's side. On the women's side, I could definitely say Stephanie Gilmore's been one of the best at managing her time out there uh, during championship tour heats, especially in pivotal heats. Um, but um, I just don't see it being a good, um, you know, if it were down to that, Italo would probably be a five-time world champ by now. He gets like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he gets like 20 waves for heat, and they're usually ones or less. But um, overall, yeah. I just don't think it would be very fun or, or spectacular to watch. Yeah, it's a good question. I think another way to think about it is, would you rather have the world's best surfers looking to get four or five-point rides in a heat or two nine point rides Mm -hmm. every day of the week. I'd rather see them try to get two nine point rides, but it's a good question. And for sure, we appreciate everyone that sent through the questions that the lineup pod, if we didn't get to your question, we will try to answer you on the DMS. We, we, we do our best to answer every comment and question. And and we really appreciate the listeners out there, Mitch, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know it's been a lot of travel (laughs) for you lately, but super psyched you're on the ground there in Sakurama and look forward to catching up with you at the completion of the vivo rio pro hope you get some waves yourself uh in between announcing and uh yeah thanks so much all right thank you dave and uh hopefully everybody enjoys the event here in sacuarema Waves should be very fun and tune in so that's it that's the lineups conversation with myself and mitch salazar i hope you enjoyed it Congratulations once again to Caroline Marks and Felipe Toledo for winning the El Salvador Surf City Pro, as well as to Matt Bylas and Mayhem Surfboards for their number one spot on the current Visla CT Shaper rankings. Stop number eight on the 2023 WL Championship Tour, the Vivo Rio Pro Safarema, starts in just a few days and will stream live on WorldSurfLeague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. 
Today's episode is produced by Miguel Clemente and Ash Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate this. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestral land of the Chumash, Kumier, be safely, get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.